Welcome. Good morning. Excited that you're here. Uh, today we are in week three of our Blank Like Jesus series. Uh, we launched this series on Easter, and on Easter morning, I just asked you to do one thing, and that one thing was just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Consider who he was. Maybe for the first time, maybe you've been a believer your entire life, and if, if, if that's the case, just maybe for the first time in a fresh way, consider Jesus. I told you not to consider Christians because if we're honest, there are a lot of weird Christians. I told you not to consider me because tragically I would let you down at some point. And I asked you not to consider our church, but to consider Jesus. Just consider Jesus. Consider the things that he was about. Consider the things that he taught. Consider the way that he loved people. Last week, we talked about what it means to love like Jesus. We looked at the story of the woman at the well. And we walked through like the, just the cultural um, impact and significance that that, that that story has in John chapter 4. And if you've never read it, if you don't know what it is, go back and read the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. And so uh, we, we, we talked about what it means like when we put our faith in Jesus. We should or we, yeah, we should find ourselves around people and in cer- certain situations that we never dreamt possible. I um, shared this quote that, I mean, probably many of us heard, but it's, it's a quote by Gandhi, and it deserves to be said again. And it says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. They are so unlike your Christ. I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians. Because their lives don't reflect his life. And I came across this, uh, th- this quote a couple of years ago now, but, uh, or this phrase or whatever a, a few years ago, and it, I believe that it, it fits this series perfectly in what we're doing and what we're trying to accomplish. And, and the, 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 the saying goes, we are pilgrim disciples. We are pilgrim disciples. Essentially, this is saying that, that, that that's who we are. That, that's what we are. We, we, a, a pilgrim is someone who's on a journey. They're headed somewhere. They're, 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 they're in the process of going to some place. And a disciple is someone who is following someone to learn. We are pilgrim disciples. If we have put our faith in Jesus, you are a pilgrim disciple. Someone trying to learn everything that you can about Jesus. Trying to be like him. Do the things that he did. Be about the things that he was about while on a journey towards him. But sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes our journeys take terrible turns, right? Sometimes our journeys and the, and, and the things that are taking place in our lives, it's not really what we anticipated or what we expected. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. Or sometimes the pain that we've experienced or the brokenness or the hurt that is going on around us, it's just too much. But even in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that brokenness, we catch glimpses of just how good God is. And it is in those moments that we are reminded of the beauty that's all around us. And it begins to change slowly. It begins to change the way that we see ourselves and the way that we see those around us. Alan Calhoun, him and his wife, they decided that they were going to have a yard sale and put some stuff out in this yard sale. And one of the things they were going to put out was this, um, this, this mirror. And the reason why they, they got it as a wedding gift, but the reason why they were putting it out was because it had this like really ugly, gaudy um, 
like turquoise aqua colored picture frame. They couldn't figure out where, where it goes or what to do with it. And so they're going to put it out in the yard sale. And this guy comes up right after the yard sale starts. He comes up and he's decorating his new apartment. And so he looks and he sees this mirror and he's like, I can't believe it. This is so awesome. And so he pays for it. And he tells Alan Calhoun, he, he, he tells him, he's like, man, I, this is such a great deal. It still has the plastic wrapper on it. As he begins to take off this turquoise aqua colored wrapper, he reveals a beautiful gold framed mirror. Today, as we move on in this series of what it means to be like Jesus, we're going to talk about what it means to forgive like Jesus. If you live long enough, and if If you're alive, at some point, someone's going to hurt you. At some point, you're going to be let down. At some point, um, like something's going to happen to you. And there there are people here in this room right now that are currently carrying a significant wound, right? Maybe someone abused you. Maybe someone took advantage of you. Or someone lied to you or cheated you or hurt someone that you loved. Maybe it was a Christian who didn't act very Christ-like towards you. Or a church that you were a part of. They did something that just devastated you. Maybe someone uh, gossiped about you. Or they, you had a boss that maybe didn't appreciate you. And you ended up losing your job for something that seemed so unjust and unfair. There are also some of you in here right now that You've been hurt by someone who's no longer alive. And you're still carrying that pain. You're still allowing the the bitterness to fester inside of you. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe they took advantage of you or they abandoned you or... For some of you, This may not be something that's even that big. For some of you, it may not be even a big deal. Something that, maybe it's just that person. That every time that you hear them speak, it's just like fingernails on a chalkboard. Maybe no matter what you do, it's not good enough. And then they start to say anything, and you're just like, ah! Sorry. (laughs) If if that happens again, I'll make sure to give a heads up for (laughs) Sorry, <laughs> that scared me. Even. I was like, oh no. But that raises this question that I want us to talk about today. That raises the question of what, what does it look like? As we learn to be like Jesus, what does it look like to forgive like Jesus? Forgiveness is at the heart of the gospel. Jesus came to forgive sinners. And, and as we are forgiven, he calls us to forgive one another. People that are skeptical about, about Christianity and about Jesus. It's, it, it, it says that, that people will know that we are followers of Jesus by what? By the way we love. People will know about Jesus by the way that we love one another. So I uh, just want to give you two quick, super simple, <laughs> super simple thoughts. Um, easy for us to internalize, but maybe not as easy for us to actually play out. But what does it mean and what does it look like to forgive 
like Jesus. And so two thoughts. The first thought is if, um, Jesus teaches us to pray for those who hurt us. Pray for those who hurt us. And the second thing that we learn from Jesus is to forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you have been forgiven. So we're going to jump right in and get after it. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And some of you are like, yeah, I'll pray for them. I'll pray that they get hemorrhoids. I'll pray that they get theirs. I'll pray, I'll, I'll pray that justice comes and, and they gets what deserved to them. I pray that they suffer. But what Jesus said was shocking. Pray for those who hurt you. And then he says in chapter in Matthew chapter five, and like what he's talking is like his audience, like they they they've grown the, they've gone their entire lives hearing the exact opposite of this. And so he, I mean, if you've been a Christian, like hold on, if if you've been a Christian most of your life, do not let the the familiarity of this of this passage rob you of the significance that it would have been for hearing it for the very first time. So Matthew chapter five verse forty three says, "You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy." You've been taught your entire life to, to love those who love you and hate those who hate you or, or mistreat you or unkind to you. you, you you've heard that it was said, but, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This very Jewish audience had always been taught an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, blood for blood. And when someone wrongs you, you wrong them back. If someone steals something from you, go steal something from them. If someone breaks a bone of yours, you go break a bone of theirs. And today, if you've been in, in or around the church for a while, you're, you're like, yeah, okay, forgiveness. Yeah, fantastic. Love your enemies. Okay, awesome. And that's very easy to do until what? Until you have an enemy, right? It's very easy to say, it's very easy for me to sit here and say, go love your enemies until I have an enemy, Because then I don't know if I want to love my enemies any longer. If someone does something to me or, or to someone that I love, I don't know if I want to love my enemies any longer. I don't want to forgive people that have wronged me. So today we're going to look at another story, between an, another interaction between Jesus and, and, and a woman. Um, and, and, and so to help us understand, we're going to need to understand a little bit of the context and the history surrounding this story. So Jesus, Jesus had been preaching in and around Galilee for a little over a year now. And he was becoming more and more popular with the people, specifically the common people, the, uh, the religious leader or the religious people. They weren't very fond of him. They actually, um, well, they probably hated him. Uh, but, but Jesus, he was invited to this dinner by a Pharisee. So for Jesus, it probably seemed a little peculiar that he was invited to this party. And some scholars believe that this man did it to try and trick or trap Jesus into saying something or doing something that they could use against him later to either arrest or kill him. And none of their tricks or traps had worked doctrinally, and so they believed that there may be another way to go about it. Humiliation. And so, like, in this day, rabbinical behavior, like, they required the host to have his servant wash the guest's feet. And that servant was then expected to anoint the visitor's head with oil. But the host himself was required to greet his guest with a kiss on the cheek. 
And with the kiss, the host was essentially saying that, that he regarded his guest as an equal. That, that this person was like one, one of the family. And so Simon, this Pharisee, not only didn't think of Jesus as, 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 as one of the family, he, he despised him. But why did he go to all this trouble of having this big party, potentially opening up his home to the community, to have this big, lavish meal, to let people meet this new teacher who's, who's in and around the area, and then insult him in front of other, all the people that were there. And I believe that Simon did this to try to get under Jesus' skin. He did this to try to get Jesus to say something or do something that was going to incriminate him. He wanted to trick Jesus. And when Simon addresses Jesus as teacher, he's acknowledging that Jesus was in fact a scholar. So at the very least, he would have been able to, he would have been expected to give a kiss of greeting, maybe a little bit of water for his feet and some oil for his head. And since none of this happened, since none of this took place, Jesus knew and everyone else in the, in, in the party, they knew. They knew that Simon's behavior was intended to be an insult. And Jesus, he refuses to give Simon the satisfaction by acknowledging it initially. And so he does something very, very powerful. So let's read um, Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Uh, it says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered, Jesus, he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Wait, pause. Shots fired. Okay. He, he entered this Pharisee's house and he reclines at the table. In this, in this day and age, like in, in, in this time, and it's still even in some cases today, like the person that is the eldest, the, the, the wisest, the person that's in charge, they sit down first, right? Like just think about it. Like if, if you're in a place, like you're going you're to make sure that the person who's in charge of the place, that they're going to sit down first. And so Jesus, he walks in putting himself as the person that's in charge. He sits down in this teacher's house. He takes his place as the eldest, the wisest, the senior teacher in this teacher's home. Shots fired. Let's keep going. Verse 37. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. So the soap opera that was playing out certainly, certainly caught Simon and the others a little off guard, I'm sure. The woman, not really the sort of woman that you're normally going to invite into a, a, a banquet or a party like this. She was a prostitute. And some historians believe that, that prostitutes, they often wore this, this vial of perfume around their neck. And in a culture where, where bathing was rare, a good-smelling fragrance would have been vital. And here she is at Simon's home, and she begins to weep. I don't believe that she intended to. I don't believe that this was part of her plan, but I think that there was something about being this close to Jesus. There was something about being right here next to him as, she's, as she sees him being mistreated. And something about that just overwhelmed her. So broken, before her eyes, this man of God who could ultimately set her free from the bondage of sin that she finds herself in. 
She watches Jesus being publicly humiliated. She washes his feet with her tears, for she has no water. She dries his feet with her hair, for she has no towel. And she anoints him with perfume, because she has no oil. And in this culture, women, not even, not even prostitutes, would let their hair down in public. Not even, not, I mean, no one would let their hair down in public. In Middle Eastern society, a bride, on the night of her uh, wedding, would let her hair down, allowing her husband to see it for the very first time. And so no one around the room would have missed this. They all understood what was taking place. By her letting her hair down, she's making some form of public declaration of loyalty to Jesus. And when we read the scriptures, it's very important for us to to, to ask the question of, in light of the cultural world of this day, what was Jesus expected to do? What, what should Jesus have done, have done while all of this was taking place? And it, it, Jesus would have been expected to be embarrassed that this woman, this type of woman, was touching him. Jesus would have been expected to be shocked that she showed her hair. But to their amazement, And I imagine to the woman's as well, Jesus said nothing. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of a woman this is and who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You've judged correctly, he told him. So Simon's watching all of this happen, and like the, the, I imagine a grin started to come over his face. He's like, I got you. I got you. If, if this man claims to be a prophet, he claims to know things. He, 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 he claims to know all sorts of things, but yet he doesn't know who this woman is that's touching him. He doesn't know who this woman is that is wiping his feet with her hair. And he doesn't know that the perfume that she's poured all over him is part of her disgusting occupation. Simon's like, I have him. And to destroy Jesus, all Simon has to do is destroy the woman. Self-righteousness is an ugly thing. It puts this nasty aqua-colored film over people's eyes, and it makes it so they can't see the inner value and the inner beauty of people. And I have no doubt that as he's watching this woman kneel at Jesus' feet, he's, he's thinking of some sharp and crushing comment that would embarrass this woman and Jesus at the same time. So something to understand, like, like these tables, like they, they're, they're really kind of on the ground. They don't really have chairs, I guess, per se. And so they have a small table and some pillows, and they're sitting with, like, I don't really know how, like their feet are out behind them or something like this. And so, and, and so that's, how, that's how they're sitting right now. And so she's washing his feet, and all of this is taking place. Verse 44. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. And you didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. So Jesus, 
Jesus responds to Simon. And then he turns his back on the teacher. He turns his back on him. And he looks at the woman. Jesus turns away from the judgmental self-righteousness of the Pharisee. And he moved his focus towards the simple repentance of this woman. It says, from the time that I came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. Only someone who had been forgiven much and loved much could anoint Jesus' feet the way that she did. On our journey through life, we're, we're, we're going to mess up. On our journey, we're, we're, we're going to have moments where we, where we slip, where we fall, where we make mistakes. And we're also going to have people that are going to fail us. We're going to have people that are going to let us down, that are not going to um, amount up to what we had hoped or the, the, the bars that we had set. But on our journey towards Jesus his loving embra- and his loving embrace, we must never forget just how much we were forgiven. Never forget just how much you were forgiven. I can't speak for you. But I can speak for me, and I know that I've been forgiven of a lot. I know, that I've, I know that I've been forgiven of a lot. And when I recognize just how much I've been forgiven, I'm able to extend that same grace, that same love to the people that are around me. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man that, who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, looking down at this woman, he, he wasn't approving of her lifestyle. He wasn't approving of the way that she lived her life. He, he, he's not saying that everything that you've done is okay because it wasn't. Her past wasn't good. But her past wasn't too far beyond the grace that Jesus offers. Her past wasn't something that was going to eliminate her from the saving grace of Jesus. And without a love and a compassion for others, Simon, he neither understood nor loved the real God of his people. We see in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. When Simon the Pharisee looked down on this woman, all he saw was a prostitute. That's all she was, and that's all she was ever going to be. Nothing, nothing that happened, nothing that took place, nothing was ever going to change that. Jesus, love your enemies. Love the people that are different from you. Pray for those who mistreat you, who persecute you, who, 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 who do bad things or say bad things about you. Pray for the people that have taken advantage of you. And forgive, because you have been forgiven. The one who forgives, who is forgiven little, loves little. But Ryan, this woman, she didn't actually do anything to Jesus. She didn't actually really affect Jesus. Her lifestyle didn't really matter. Like it didn't really affect, in the grand scheme of things, it didn't really affect Jesus. It's easier to forgive someone who hasn't directly affected us, right? And while you're right, but the ultimate display of forgiveness happened on the cross. 
this ultimate display of forgiveness. Jesus played out. Jesus completely innocent. I mean, never sinned. And he finds himself hanging there between two criminals. Luke chapter 23 says two criminals or two others criminals were also led away to be executed with him. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And now as we, as we read this, as, as we read through like what's happening, we, we, a lot of the times I don't think that we fully understand what, what was going on on the cross. For one thing, whenever we watch TV shows or documentaries or movies about it, like Jesus is, he's, he's, or whoever, they're always hanging like way up in the air. They're like way, way up off the ground. But in reality, the cross was designed to, to bring extreme torture and extreme humiliation. It was very expensive to do a crucifixion. And so they made sure that it was reserved for the worst of the worst. And so they wanted to make sure that, that it was incredibly humiliating and incredibly painful. The word excruciating actually comes from the word crucified. And so they would drive these stakes through the hands and the feet of the people. And they would be hanging there on the cross. And instead of being way up in the air, they were only a few inches off the ground. And in order to breathe, they would have to press up on their feet that have nails driven through them just to try to breathe. And so whenever people would come by and mock them, they they weren't looking up at the people. They were looking face to face with these people. They were eye to eye with the person being crucified. They were shouting taunts and mocking them and spitting on them, not up, but right at them. And this is what's going on to Jesus. This is what was taking place to Jesus as they were spitting on him. One of the criminals even shouted out. He said, you saved your others. Why don't you save yourself? Hail, hail, king of the Jews. And at that moment, when humanity, when creation, when people were at its worst, they were mocking their creator. Jesus prayed the most amazing prayer. He looks up to the father as they're in his face and they're shouting and they're doing these things. He looks up and in verse 34, it says, father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Jesus was asking for forgiveness for those who were sinning against him in the moment. Right then, in that moment, he was forgiving them of something that seemed totally unforgivable. When the unimaginable happened to Jesus, the ultimate torture, the ultimate humiliation, his response was forgiveness. The world is going to teach you to Love those who love you and hate those who hate you or who mistreat you or who whatever. But Jesus, he says, no, 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 no. We do things different. Our kingdom is different. We pray for those who persecute us. We love our enemies. And we forgive as we've been forgiven. Because that's how followers of Jesus do it. That's how good our God is, that, that he forgives so recklessly. He forgives so freely. And so in the same way, we forgive as we've been forgiven. Now, forgiveness, it's, it's, it's not going to change the past. All right? Let's say that. Like When you forgive someone, it's not going to change what happened. But it will most definitely change the future. 
and more than likely it's going to change your future. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change the way that you see things, the way that you do things. The, like it's, it's, it's going to change everything. And so love your enemies. Pray for those who mistreat you. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Because the world will know us by our love. On this journey of becoming a pilgrim disciple. On this journey as we pursue and chase after Jesus. We must forgive like Jesus. We must forgive like Jesus forgave. Freely. We have the, we have the incredible ability to be removers of the aqua colored film surrounding people. We have this incredible opportunity as followers of Jesus to extend this same grace to people. Now I understand, like I, like I, I, I get it. Like some things are a lot bigger than just saying, "Hey, like I, I, I forgive you." Like I get that. Some things are a lot harder, and there are a lot, there are a lot more layers and a lot more things that are going on. You have to think through a process through. But, but I've watched my family forgive people for something that seems unforgivable as well. And the reason was because they believed that there is no one beyond grace. There's no one who is impossible to receive grace. So let's remove the awkward, (laughs) the aqua colored film. Let's seek out ways to restore beauty. Let's seek ways to knock down walls and, 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 and restore hope and restore love. May we, as pilgrim disciples, may we forgive like Jesus forgives. God, we love you. And we thank you for who you are. And God, first, I just, I just thank you for the cross. I, I, I thank you for, for what happened. God, I thank you for for your reckless love and your reckless pursuit of us. That you would send your son Jesus to the cross for me. For all of us. For those that accept and those that don't. God, you you sent Jesus to die for everyone. God, I pray that we don't miss that. I pray that we don't miss it. God, we love you. It's in your matchless name that we pray. Amen.